Hello, Stephen Seifert. <laughs> Can we edit that? <laughs> We're not going to edit this show. You're not Stephen Seifert. It's Butch Ross, my buddy. I've been accused of looking like Steve Seifert when I grow the beard. Oh, that's. I think that's just the dulcimers that make you guys look alike. <laughs> pretty sure that's it so this is the dulcimer geek podcast and uh last week i was absent uh due to house building and things and this week i'm almost absent i'm here but wow i've been sick the last few days which i think is related to house building and breathing in oh no doubt coal dust and cold and mold mold. dry wood rotten wood it's been a lot but uh anyway I don't like it when podcasts start and just have all this minor chat and talk about themselves. But really, that's all that we do on this show. So right. <laughs> <laughs> we've kind of gotten into the meat of the that's conversation. Also every, every podcast, unless you have one of those snazzy intros that was clearly done at Fiverr. Yeah, we don't do yeah. that. Golf or a geek podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have some music and we looked at doing that, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, I do apologize for the way I sound today. I, I apologize for the way Butch sounds, but I don't know what to do about that. First rule of performing <laughs> is you never apologize, even if you should. Ah. So <laughs> do you think that's really a good rule? Here we go, geek, uh-huh. fellow geek. Do you think that's really a good rule? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because because when you... If your arm falls off on stage and you can't as, strum, should you just continue to bang it with your head? <laughs> Yes, that's what I would do. <laughs> look, you've seen me play. I live in fear that just one day I'm going to look out and there's going to be my hand just sailing just across the away. room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the thing about this, the thing about uh, uh, as a performer, the thing about apologizing, and there are a million ways to apologize that don't even seem like apologies to you. The, the thing is, people sit down in front of you to watch you perform. There's an expectation that you're the, there's an expectation that you're going to do something good. People coming to see you perform, whether it's at like, you know, uh, a dulcimer festival where there's nothing else to do and you're kind of stuck there or it, or just going to see somebody play in a club or something like that. that those people who show up to see you perform are kind of saying, I believe in you. I believe that you can do something that entertains me. And when you apologize, when you say something, I say, well, you know, I didn't really work this out. It's like, you're saying, you're saying to the audience, I don't believe in myself. And by extension, you are foolish for believing in me in the first place. So I see it as, as in you, you apologize to the audience. You're, you're actually insulting your audience. Okay. I want to walk that back just a little bit. Because <laughs> uh, I think I agree with the reasoning behind why we feel statements like that are truisms mm-hmm. that you should never apologize. But uh, one of the things I learned, I refer to this so much that it becomes obnoxious, I know, but back when I did that, just a little bit of improv training that I said is that, that, that I did, is that even rules like that sometimes are best broken mm-hmm. once you become comfortable with it. Because there are times if everyone in the audience is thinking something and you say it, you relieve tension. So I think I agree with in, in general with what you said, mm-hmm. that people do come expecting you to do well. But I think, and I'm at a loss right now to think of one. So I'm agreeing with you completely in practice right. because I'm not thinking of an example. But if uh, if you just have a brain seize you know, just, it just freezes up on you completely. Mm-hmm. And 
what you would normally do in the course of like meeting someone to shake their hand, my hand is out. I'm like, hi. And I've known Butch Ross for a long time. And by the way, I didn't really formally introduce Butch on this podcast here. So uh, for those of you who don't know Butch Ross, what are you doing listening to this podcast? <laughs> so there. Now, see, now, now, see, now you've insulted the audience, and you should apologize for that. Ah, so that's what I was getting to. Uh-huh. If something that would normally happen in, in the normal case of something like, hi, oh, man, sorry, your name just left my head. Yes. That's an okay time for me to go, I'm sorry. I can't believe I just forgot your name. Yes. That would, you, would be okay to say I'm sorry, I think. Uh, but, n- but to apologize ahead of time, here's what I think is never okay. To apologize ahead of time for a poor performance that you're about to make. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with you completely. Yes. You just don't do that. I think that does everything that you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and there have been times that I've messed up, I've messed up pieces. Um, uh, where, like, hey, so if Aaron was playing Hey Mom uh-huh. for, you know, the song that he wrote for his mom. Right. And his brain seized up in the middle of it. He should apologize to his mom. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it would be okay at that moment. Exactly. So exactly. That's, that's, I just think we have to be a little careful about rules like that. Well, because they can also, back us but, into yeah, illogical also, corners. But you also have to remember, like, there's a, if you have the, um, if you get, uh, um, I guess it was in the '90s, maybe late '90s. Uh, Leo Kotke put out a live album. I think he puts out a live album every couple of years. And this one, the first song on the album is called um, "Airproofing." And he starts to play the song, and he plays about three measures, and he stops, and he goes, that's a little fast. I'm going to slow it down. And he plays the song at precisely the same tempo. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he stops and apologizes because he felt like he was going too fast, and then he started the song again, and he did exactly the same thing. I think you have to be careful about apologizing because nobody knows what you expected to do, what you planned on doing. And so you you end up saying, oh, I'm really sorry I messed up that last bit. And people are like, what? Okay. Yeah. If, if 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 Aaron O'Rourke screws up, hi mom. It's probably not going to be obvious. It's probably not going to be him going. It's just going to be a random series of incredible notes that are not like the YouTube video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, well, not if a bug flies up his nose, because I think if a bug flies up your nose, you can go. I'm sorry, a bug just flew up my nose. And people would think that's reasonable. I'm sorry. No, you know this microphone is shocking me Cindy every time Lopper I get near performing. It. There's a video of this Cindy Lauper performing <laughs> on Central Park, and a bird craps in her mouth oh, while she's singing should, a high note. See this? I'm going to consider editing that. I'm not. <laughs> I, gonna, I, I, I didn't make it happen. <laughs> but she, you know, it's she just she just she just laughs it off. It's like yeah, it happens. It happens. You know, that's like, never happened never lost composure. Like never lost composure. So we moved to a small town from a big town. What, Chattanooga, the Signal Mountain? No, no. This was back when I used to live in Missouri. Mm-hmm. The very first day of school. There are big towns in Missouri? Yes. Besides St. Louis <laughs> and Kansas City. We got out of the... But I'll never forget this. This is the first day I realized my parents were probably disappointed in me. <laughs> we got out of the car and my mom was walking me to the front of the elementary school, mm-hmm. and a large bird deposited a very large item right on top of my head. We were right near the front door. She just turned me around and said, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't have any education. Not to have been, I've been at home ever since then. <laughs> <coughs> True story. Excellent. Uh, but anyway, uh, 
Listen, one of the things that's unique about you as a dulcimer player is uh, you're a, a, I consider you to be a brave pioneer in that uh, sometimes I'm jealous of the stuff that you do uh, with uh, using effects and looping and those kinds of things because truth be told, I was doing it before you. I think I was doing it before you. Yeah, and, but you were, actually. And because I was street performing and doing it a whole bunch. Sure. You were, you were gutsy enough to do it at dulcimer festivals. Right. And I'm like, wow, Butch. I hope this works out for you. <laughs> Remember, we had conversations years back yeah, yeah, yeah. about how that was going to, and it's, you've done well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think at the end of the, I don't know, I, I do what I do and you do what you do and you do what you do as, as, as best as you can, the best that you can, you know, and then you hope that that people like it, you know? Yeah. Like my favorite Bible verse is the one that goes, woe to you that all men should speak well of you. You know, if you're not, if if somebody doesn't like what you're doing, if you don't do something that people don't like, then you'll never do something that people love, you know? But I don't think about any of that stuff. When I have I'm, a real hard time with truisms. Yeah, I know you do. I, so I'm going to let that one go, but I think I could falsify <laughs> that if we wanted to play that game. But anyway. You absolutely can't stand truisms, right? I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I can't say that, but I won't. <laughs> um, oh, I think you can find an instance where a truism works. <laughs> we should move on. Yes. Um, no, but I, I, uh, I mean, you know, the the... I don't know. I like. I do what I do. I like what I do. Uh, I, I do things that that I enjoy doing, and then hope and other people seem to enjoy doing them too. That's really about as far as I go with it. You know, I mean, I love. I I still love playing all those tunes. So if I'm playing, you know, Spotted Pony or or, or Shady Grove or Camp Meeting on the Fourth of July, regardless of whatever I'm doing with the loops and the backgrounds, you know, it always comes back to those those same old tunes. And I because I, those are great tunes. Yeah, I think one of the things I think there's a an honesty about what you do that I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's self serving. I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 self serving in a positive way because you knew. I mean, I remember the discussions that it was a bit risky in uh, the dulcimer festivals, which I think no one would argue that if we were talking about the kinds of things that are sort of traditional things, mm -hmm. dulcimer festivals, banjo festivals, fiddle festivals, those kinds of things, those would be considered very traditional arts. Sure. And for you to uh, take something that you're passionate about and attempt to present it uh, in a in a, in a place where it, you know that there's a chance that somebody's not going to like it just out of principle. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's, that's gutsy, but your, your passion for it is I think what makes it, I mean, execution as well, but I think you could have, I think the passion is what drives your execution because yes. for people who haven't done what, what Butch does. And here, here's the second part of my confession. One of the reasons I don't do that generally at festivals is because it makes me so nervous. Yeah. You have to practice and practice and practice because it's all about timing and you know, me and timing It's practice it's, with timing. I know. Yeah. yeah. Time is just a magazine to you. Yes, that's right. No, <laughs> just the opposite. I'm, I'm so particular about the timing of things that even little bitty timing yeah, yeah, things yeah. bug yeah. me and looping's tough. 
I, I, um, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why I'm analog and you're digital, but uh, it is actually because it's different solutions to the same quandary. Um, when I'm always explaining looping the people like how it works, I always explain that you can't wing it. You have to know the next thing that you're going to do. It's mentally. That's right. It's you, mentally exhausting because you're running through a checklist of things and performing you know, and and playing and entertaining and running through this checklist of things, you know what I mean? So imagine being on stage singing, playing your instruments and planning what you're going to buy at the grocery store on the way home all at the same time. Like that's the way the brain works. So you can't you can't wing it. You always have to know the next thing that's going to happen. And, yeah, yet, but, and yet at the same time, you're constantly improvising because it never goes quite the way you think it's right. Going to. Don't don't leave all that stuff that you just said. Yeah. If you had never been to the grocery store. It would be extremely risky, but you've been to the grocery store a bunch of times. You have a good idea that you're going to find the milk in the cold place. Yeah, you know, and you've practiced these things over and over again. But and, and that's the them, same with improv- and written them down as checklists. Of, that's right. of things to do as part of the rehearsal process. Yeah, it's not, you know, a lot of times at festivals, you know, get together with Steve or with Bing or with you and just be like. Hey, let's do this. You know what I mean? And 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 we have what what Ken Bloom once said. Um, uh, at Uniquid one year, he got up with somebody and he said, we've had a brief, intense conversation about this next piece. Enjoy our first run through. <laughs> yeah, that's so can. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, per- it's a perfect example of what happens at the at the at festivals a lot of times, because that's the spirit of the thing. You know, right. Um, you can I could never do. You know what? I'm just going to make up some loops here on the spot and be done in seven minutes. Not going to happen. You right. Know, you and there. So <clears throat> I have a lot of people. I think the hammer dulcimer lends itself really well to looping because it's a, such a rhythmic instrument anyway. Mm-hmm. But still, I don't see, I think Stephen Humphreys and I, I think only did a looping based thing one time. And I think Steve's done it a couple of times. There's not many people doing it much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Yoder does. I Ted's believe. doing it some yeah. too, yeah. It lends itself to uh, a real hippie kind of jam band feel because yes. of the percussive nature of the hammer dulcimer. And so for street performing, it's awesome sauce because yeah. you really are looking sometimes for, <laughs> this is going to sound uh, like I'm contradicting myself, but you're looking for a break where you get to keep on playing. Uh-huh. And that's what that is. You know, you kind of build this long 15 minute long complex thing, which is different from playing Rocky top for a minute and a half. So you can make some money. <laughs> well, it's also, but I mean, also it's, it's the nature of the, of the, of the business nature of the, of the environment. Like, you know, I, I, started busking much like you did down at, at the aquarium mm-hmm. you're there for four hours and nobody's actually paying attention you know there's people milling around kids playing in the water people walking from the one building to the next building or maybe they're 50 feet away eating a chili dog you know what i mean like there's nobody there's no uh, there's no chairs no audience there's just people milling around so you have all of this i i, I found that you had all of this time to just build a thing and improvise a thing and try ideas and reject ideas and just build and build and mm-hmm. build and build until Great you got it. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean the 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 two the cluckled hen that I do where I start it slow and build a lot of loops and then play it fast with a lot of loops, uh actually was built out of out of at work busking at the aquarium. One day I did the slow part and the next day I did the fast part and then I just remember thinking those two sounded would probably sound good together. I think you're more disciplined than I am. Because I, no I, one has ever said that. <laughs> you know, I'm a little sick right now. Too, yeah, so. Clearly, you have a fever of some sort. <laughs> no, because 
You can pull those things off when you're street performing and you'll be accepting of things that didn't quite work, you mm-hmm. know, because you created it live. That doesn't, you don't feel like that when you're on the stage. Uh, I was never able to discipline myself enough when I was street performing to take good notes about what worked and what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes your show work that I'm, I could be wrong because I'm completely guessing that this is true, but you at home by yourself, I'm assuming take pieces of things that you've done and then you try to practice them down to something very specific, specific that you're going to do knowing that improvisationally there's going to be minor changes in it. But Knowing, I think this is the point, the bigger point of even this whole conversation, I hope people get, because I get asked this question a lot, and I'm sure you do too, is, you know, how do you get started doing this stuff? And the thing that you're not going to be, it's not buying gear, though you have to have some gear. Everybody likes to buy the gear. Yeah. That's fun. It's being comfortable with the gear in front of people when all of a sudden there's, like you said, it's a, it's a crazy juggling act. Yeah. Well, it's about it's about knowing the gear, you know what I mean. The the know, knowing your equipment and and whatever you know. And I mean, I started. That's the other part of the reason you know the pedal board that I have now is a lot of pedals on it. But but primarily, uh, when I started, I had uh, I had a I had the I had a um, I had the the bags di because I use piezo pickups and they're not. They don't have preamps. We can talk about specific gear because people want to know that kind of stuff. So both you and I use, I'm holding it in my hand, an LR Bags Para Acoustic DI. Can you folks see that at home? Can you? Yeah, I'm looking at it, (laughs) holding it away from my eyes. But uh, I don't want these, $149, Yeah, something like that. $149.79. It's like having a Swiss Army knife. Yes. It's really good for lots of things. So just, again, this is the Dulcimer Geek podcast, so it's okay for us to talk about gear. To talk about gear and ask to be specific about it. So the knobs that are on this thing. First off, a DI. Uh, I always thought it stood for direct input, but yeah. I actually read it's a direct injection is the true technical term. Injection. Yeah, I read that somewhere. That's and a if I'm wrong, lascivious. somebody correct me. Yeah, a little what? Lascivious. Lascivious. Makes me think of getting a penicillin. We try to avoid uh, lasciviousness <laughs> on this podcast. But it has. Uh, so this thing has filters on it. It has low. Uh, which is basically turns up the low and high frequencies. Yeah. And then it has a notch filter. So if you have a specific noise that's coming out of your instrument, you can notch that specific thing down. Or the room, if there's some specific frequency in the room that's a little... It's feeding back or making yeah. you want to feed back. That's right. And then it has mids. Uh, I'm going to confess something here. There's a presence knob on this. Mm-hmm. Presence is something that's always on electric guitar amps. Yeah. I think it's the knob that makes you sound worse. Well, I don't know. I think it. I think it works the same as a brilliance knob. But I have the brilliance knobs turned all the way up on mine. It doesn't make me any smarter. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I would. I would love for somebody to tell me. I'm not an electric guitar player. Yeah. Uh, what specifically presence is designed to do? So you. Not 100 percent sure. It feels like it's high frequencies, eight to sixteen. Yeah, but then right next to that, you've got treble. Yeah, yeah, but treble's going to start. Trevor's going to start coming out of your mids, so that's maybe one to eight. Yeah. Okay. You know, see what I'm saying? Interesting. So on an LR Bags Paracoustic DI, which I'm mm-hmm. holding in my hand, the uh, notch filter has a, a secondary knob that goes with it, and you can tune to specific note frequencies. Yes. And rather than you try to guess it by numbers, it says A, D, G, and B, just to show you where in the scale you are. Uh-huh. That's really useful. That's really useful. Uh, yeah. Uh, it 
I've used this thing with drums, like with uh, djembes before, uh-huh. in order to peak things. So if I want, because you have all kinds of tones that come out of like a drum head. Right. Uh, and if I want, if I'm playing a song that's in A minor, I want to make the drum be resonant with the rest of the, the music. And you can you use one of these for that. And then the mid filter also has a secondary knob with it. This is a sweep. It's a sweepable mid. So your mid knob is going to be how much of yeah. that you're taking out, and then the second knob is what frequency you're going yes. to be taking out. All right. So we're almost done. It's got a volume, which is what you think that takes all mm-hmm. the way you've adjusted these knobs and turns it up or down. There's volume, and then it has gain as well, yeah, which is has, how much you're jacking up your signal when you right. put it in. The input gain is at the other end of the the phase. The other end of the uh, it's called gain staging, is what it's called yes. when you're trying to get your levels set. And I think sometimes people don't get that also. Yeah, that I did a gig this last week, and the the guy was an amateur sound guy, and so he said, "Hey, if you, I don't know what I'm doing, so if you have right. any," and he kept trying to turn me up, and what he needed to do was pull my input gain up. Yeah, and then so it would balance out better with everyone else. Yeah, macro, so, micro. That's right. Yeah. So the input gain is where it comes in. The volume is where it goes out. On I'll tell you what. On on mine, that input gain is is turned almost all the way off because. Between that and a couple of the other pedals that I have in in front of it, I've essentially have three or four preamps running into the signal, and right. those throw out so much signal, especially if you're running on on phantom power. That I keep my input gain turned all the way down, and then I just use the the, the volume level at the back. To see to realize how much geek speak you just used, especially if it's running on phantom power. <laughs> you said that was fine. Yeah, but we explain it. Oh, okay. So phantom power is a very low voltage that can run through a microphone cable. These microphones, Steve and I have talked about this, that we're using right now are both uh, AKG AKG C414s, and they require phantom power. They're condensers. Mm -hmm. And this LR Bags preamp has a battery in it because it's actually an amplifier, Mm -hmm. so it has to be able to boost signal. But if you have phantom power running to it, you don't need the battery. Right. So that's that's another good thing. Uh, the, so the only other two other things, then we'll, I'll put this thing down. It's got a an output, uh, an invert button, and an effects loop button. And so this effects loop button is going to play into what we're talking about with Butch here in a minute. So the output is just a mono, like a guitar cable kind of output to send yes. it on to whatever. It's got a DI out, which is the microphone cable output, which is generally if you go to play at some place where they've got a sound system, like a church or something, it's good if you have one of these. Because yes. then you can say, just give me a mic cable. And they can plug their mic cable, because they may not know how to get you in either. Yeah. Plug their mic cable into this, and they're going to get your sound. Well, and that's, the, it's part of the reason why I use it, because then I can, you know, when people say, well, what do you need? I tell them I need a vocal mic, and I need an X, a mic cable that's right. with, phantom, with phantom power. Yeah. If they don't know what phantom power is, they have the battery and the thing. But more than anything, the less they have to think about that's how exactly to make right. me work, yep. the better off yep. it is for Makes everyone. it easier. And then you have the options of the gains and the volume mm-hmm. level to help set it with their system as well. So this invert button, you're probably not going to mess with this unless you're really sort of geeky into this and understand what uh, phase cancellation is. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. No. Just leave it out or leave it in. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, the you're F- not going to worry about phases until you have multiple sources anyway. That's right. The <clears throat> Now you get to explain what I meant by that. That's why I was trying to avoid that. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. No. Now. As long right. as you're plugging straight into it and cu- and just coming out and you're not using a microphone in conjunction with whatever you're running into that brown box. That's right. That red button is useless. So now the last thing on here is this thing called uh, an effects loop mm-hmm. plug. And by the way, if you're listening to this and... If anyone is still listening to this and they're interested, <laughs> just look up LR Bags Paracoustic DI and you can see a picture of what we're looking at because yeah. they're all over the interwebs. Uh, the effects loop is an interesting plug. It looks like just a regular headphone kind of plug, but it uses what's called a TRS cable, tip, ring, sleeve. I, you know what? For years, I thought that meant Tandy Radio Shack. Did you really? <laughs> Did you really? Well, because they used to have TRS-80s. And right, things. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's I could see that. It stands for tip, ring, sleeve. And on these... Uh, the, the normal configuration of a TRS cable, when it's an effects cable, is the tip sends, the ring returns, and the sleeves the ground. So it has what looks like a stereo headphone cable at one end, and then it splits into two cables, all out of one. So it's a it's a cable with three plugs on it. One's a stereo looking like a headphone cable. The other two look like mono cables, like right. you plug into your guitar. One of those is to send a signal to something else, and the other one is to get the signal coming back out of that something else. And, of course, in between those two, there could be a series of something else's, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And with a little box like this LR Bags, it's like a mixer that way, and that you can put all of your other effects out there and then have them all come back through here and still just have one output signal. So all that to say, that's how you started. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to start because Except I you, front load everything. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I just I just ran. That was the, that's the last thing in my chain. I'm probably, I'm probably so you aren't using the effects loop. I know I've never used the effects loop. I've never plugged anything into that. Really? Yes. Everything I do is in front of the signal. So the tuner. I need to get you to try that. You may find you get a cleaner signal this way. I bet I do. Yeah. I'm almost guarantee I do. Um, yeah. So I, I had a tuner. I had a boss tuner that would let me mute and switch instruments because the boss tuners, when you step on them, they're foot pedals. When you step on them, it mutes the signal. And then I had the uh, the little multi-effects unit that I had borrowed from you that did a bunch of different things, and I only ended up using it for like five different sounds. Oh, so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. That was a Digitech RP50. RP50. Which they don't make anymore. Right. And it costs like RP300 now. Even then, it costs $49. I think you got it for 10 bucks. Right? Yeah. I don't even remember where I bought it. You have a brother-in-law that owns a pawn shop or something? Oh, that's right. It was in pawn shop. That's right. And I had another one. Yes. And so I gave Butch one because 10 bucks. Actually, you know what? The other one I ended up giving away to Court Tangerman. Oh, really? Do you remember Danger Man? Sure. From one of the festivals, Court Tangerman. Because I I upgraded. Yeah. And I've downgraded and side-graded and... (laughs) Well, and for all the things that it could do, because it had, what, 20 different effects on it, different yeah. sounds you could make. I remember when you gave it to me. So there, was, there are 40 programmable effects. There are 40 presets that you can turn into absolutely anything you want it to do. And when Dan gave me the pedal, all 40 of them were completely blank except for a delay, and each delay was slightly faster than the one before. That's it. all I was using. Was, yeah, yeah, because you just speed up as you play and like hit the button and move right. on, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which but, is brilliant, by the way. Well, but that's the only thing it was good for because on Hammer Dulcimer, just yeah. this, I had a phone call just a couple of days ago from uh, uh, Bob Burns. Bob, if you're listening down in Florida, asking about this kind of, it's funny that we're talking about this today. It wasn't what we planned. 
but he was asking about effects. And mm-hmm. one of the first things that Bob said and multiple people have said is, I think it'd be really cool to get a good distortion on a hammer dulcimer. Oh. And you know what? It's not. It's not. <laughs> it never sounds good. Mm-hmm. It only sounds good if you have completely muted the thing. So well, there's zero sustain. Yeah, those sounds sound... The thing is, the thing with... with um, with distortion, any kind of distortion, is that uh, it makes it makes a single note sound very big, mm-hmm. and that sounds that sounds great. We play more than one note, though, then you get all of these these frequencies. It just gets ugly. Yeah. Well, and I mean the thing. Uh, this is how when I'm explaining uh, harmonics, like how to play harmonics, the way I I always kind of explain it is that when you have a note, you hear a note ringing, you actually hear a several different notes ringing because there's all kinds of other frequencies that are going. That are going on in that right. Um, if you listen, if someone has a, an acoustic guitar with a with a powerful under saddle pickup or you know some kind of pickup, and they plug into a PA system, if you listen carefully, the low frequencies, like the subharmonic notes, are louder than the what we call the fundamental note. So you play E, you're hearing E, but you're also hearing E an octave below that right. because those frequencies get exaggerated by that kind of pickup, system. which can help you or hurt you depending on which can help you or hurt you. <laughs> You, how you know how to use it but if you but what happens is is when you when you put distortion on something all of those other frequencies that we don't hear and i always kind of explain it like when we hear a note being played on a stringed instrument it's it's like the same way you know i would say like you know how a t-shirt if, a, if you're wearing a red t-shirt right the t-shirt isn't red the t-shirt absorbs all colors except red right right it's the same idea you're hearing you're hearing all, there's all the all these sounds, but E is the sound that you're hearing more than anything else. But when you distort, I'll put distortion on it, you exaggerate all of those frequencies. So now all of those other sounds, you know, are also in are also within that sound, which is why it sounds big. But then you add two of those, invariably you get frequencies that clash with each other. And that's why, yeah. Yeah, that's why distortion on a hammer dulcimer is, is because there are all those other frequencies that also have all those other all those other frequencies with them. Yeah, and you just end up with something that's kind of awful sounding. I shouldn't say awful because somebody thinks it sounds great. Well, there are uses for anything. I yeah. mean, you know that you know. That, I don't think it sounds great. It's just, for what I do, I don't like it. I like a cleaner sound. Yeah, and, you and me, you and me both. And, and do you remember the? Uh, I think they called it the quack tones. That kind of when people started putting a little bit of wah and a little bit of distortion mm-hmm. on like telecasters and getting that kind of quack, quack, yeah, yeah, quack, yeah. Quack, quack, think of shaft, mm-hmm. you can get that sound a little bit out of a hammer dulcimer if you mute really hard, right? And you put a filter on it, and we should maybe talk about filters, about sweeps, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not yet, though. I want to continue with what, what you do, but I, I don't want to completely discount distortion on hammer dulcimer but generally if you were to take that pedal that butch is talking about the rp50 or the rp59 billion whatever example they've come up with and if you picked one of the preset guitar distortion effects you're not going to be happy for a hammer dulcimer yeah (laughs) and how about on a mountain dulcimer because you're closer, obviously. It's a fretted instrument with with it's smaller. Free, it says smaller, way smaller frequency range than a you would hammer never, dulcimer. You would never too. strum a chord, though. 
Um, yeah, well, I, maybe you, you I, would. I, I will, yeah. And here, but you know what? You, you know what you rarely hear me play is, is something it? with a third in it. Yeah, they'll they'll all be power the chords. Yeah. They'll all be D A D E B E. You know, like like if you're if you were tabbing it out, it'd all be one 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 two two two. Yeah, you know let's I mean? go ahead and explain a power chord right now because well, it it is important in context with what we're doing. Sure, a, a power chord, as I explain it, is it's also you'll see them written as like B five or A five. And what it means is you have three notes in a chord that make it a chord. There's the, 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 there's the root. So if it's an A, let's, let's do D since it's dulcimer. Right. Um, D would be your root note. Your third would be F sharp or F. That's the note that determines whether or not it's a major chord or a minor chord. And then you have what's called a perfect fifth, which is a note five, uh, yeah, five, five notes in the scale above it. So a in it's that a, case. Right. If you remove the third, then you what you have is what they call a five chord because there's no third in it. It's just the root and the fifth in the scale, uh, and then sometimes root fifth and octave. That's how. That's technically how an, a dulcimer uh, tune D A D. That's the chord it's tuned. That's to. what it's doing. If you don't touch it, if you don't touch if you it, don't it, fret yeah. it, yeah. Um, and uh, and. And because there's no thirds, those weird notes that happen when you distort things are less prevalent. And so you can play power chords. They're called power chords because they sound good coming through a powerful amp, an amp with a lot of volume or a lot of distortion. And that's where the term comes. They're not actually more powerful than any other chord, but they're the ones that have the less nasty frequencies when you attempt to play them through. All right. I just want to pause. Yes. Everybody take a deep breath and realize what Butch just told you is extremely important. If you didn't understand what he just said, and you got an effect pedal, and you tried to make it sound good, and you didn't get that, it's not going to work. So there's yes. just so much that goes into this. Yes. It, it seems like it's simple, but it's kind of not simple. It's really geeky. Someone should write an article on chords for Dulcimer Players News. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting idea. I actually, when I talk, you about, when yeah. I talk about fifth chords, that all of the things I just said, I explain. But see, you also well. see that when you talk about fifth chords, it could also confuse somebody. Music, our Western way of notating. The, I automatically, when someone says play a five, I'm not thinking that you're talking about a power chord. I'm thinking right. that you're talking about a five chord that has a dominant seven in it, which we don't even need to go into. We now, don't have to do the dominant seven even, but yeah, I'm not going to, if I, if we're in the key of D and, and I say play a fifth chord, yeah, I'm not saying play a, play a D five chord. Right. I'm playing a, right. Yeah. So anyway, that I'm sorry for derailing the conversation there, but anyway, oh. just to say that, uh, it's funny. You can't assume that people know this stuff. So when someone comes up and asks me a question or asks you a question about effects and we start to talk until your eyes wax over, it's because you have to. Mm-hmm. You either have to bring somebody along mm-hmm. to let them know what it is they don't know so that they hopefully get that spark that says, I'm going to go ahead and learn this stuff because I recognize that it matters. Or they learn it all because you just explained it so well, which never happens. Ever. <laughs> no. Yeah. Or, or you've got to have some experience, you know, coming yeah. along. And that's why, seriously, I like the idea of starting with the LR bags. Mm-hmm. It's a basic piece of equipment. And just the stuff that we talked about with the knobs with that one thing sound a bit daunting if you haven't done this stuff. Yeah, but you – but. Yeah, but it should be it should be noted. And granted, even even when I started to play Mountain Dulcimer uh, through that pedal, you know, I was coming to it with a lot of experience playing electric guitar, playing acoustic guitars. You know, uh, you know, I probably had 
20 years in at, before That's I ever right. got a Mountain Dulcimer to begin with. But, but the average even, player doesn't have that, Butch. No, That's but I was going to say yeah. that even so, what I did was I plugged it in and I just started turning knobs until I got sounds that I liked. Now, right. I would have gotten there faster than someone who doesn't have the background that I have only because I know what kind of sounds I like. But you can sit there and, I mean, even play Mountain Dulcimer with one hand, strum the open chords and turn the knobs until you get something that you find ah, pleasing to the that's ear. That's a wonderful that's how I learned. Yeah. Really. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you something else that I, I don't I don't do it a lot with my with my uh live rig, although I do do it a little bit. But if I was playing hammer dulcimer, I would absolutely do this is is uh split the signal so that um your effects and stuff are are running in tandem with an unaltered signal from the instrument. Does that make sense? I think you have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have to do that. I think, I mean, I learned that from uh, uh, an Australian slide guitarist named Jeff Lang. He Who runs, was doing that with his hammer dulcimer? <laughs> yeah, no, with his slide guitar. <laughs> oh. But he would run out of his guitar straight into the PA and then run that signal to a guitar amp. So the guitar amp's got distortion and, and phasers and all of these weird sounds coming off of it. But on top of it was always the clean signal of the unadulterated instrument. You know, so you could do whatever you wanted underneath. It became like a background color, a background noise. So, you know, so, yeah, distortion through a hammered dulcimer would probably be a nightmare. But distortion behind a clean signal of a of a of a hammered dulcimer it might sound really cool. Yeah, so, and and there's this whole thing of side-chaining things as well, which is, that's a technical word, but it means what it sounds like. You're going to make a chain of things that go off to the side and you bring back in somewhere else. Yeah. And one of the effects that I do, that I use and have a lot, like on, I'm trying to think of a song where I've used it that I've recorded, all the way back on my questions in the Calm CD, uh, Entertaining the Fish, it's got a lot of that stuff happening. Uh, it's exactly the way Butch says it. You've got a clean signal of the dulcimer. Just I was using a lot of hammer pedal going straight through. But then I have a delay, so it's delaying the sound. That's happening in the background. But then that, after it goes through the delay, it's then hitting a filter that's, that's sweeping it. Mm -hmm. which you don't really hear it's it's but it's moving just so the sound changes a little bit all the time so it's not so predictable and there's that little bit of randomness that you were talking about it's almost like you have to kind of react to it and then i put a little bit of distortion on the delay but mm -hmm. not on the initial hit uh, right just because it gives a, something a little edge. In split rail fences right that was the song that i was just sort of singing out loud you're right i do yeah. that in split rail fences and i did something similar on entertaining the fish that's exactly right mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly that and that's using all those effects, but distortion is such a minor part of it. Whereas the signature sound of a guitar, of an electric guitar, I sh should say, yeah. is sometimes set up even by the kind of pickups that are on there. People go, oh, humbucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know that sound and they know the distortions that work with it. And it's like, I think you said this in the podcast. It might have been in the pre-show when we were just talking. But... There's all these specifics when you get it like that RP50 and you look at the settings on it, mm -hmm. or especially now like the RP300 or whatever. Right. There's all these specific amps that they've got the names of on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking for they're looking to make the guitar sound like it would if it was coming out of that. Right. And they'll even have settings for the kind of pickup that you would have. 
right? Well, the one that I just bought, the Zoom that we were talking about before. It was before the show. Before yeah. the show um, actually has where you can change the pickup. So if I'm playing a single coil pickup, I can make it, it has some sort of simulator that'll make it react like a humbucking pickup. Okay. Or vice versa. So if I want a single coil sound, but I have a humbucking pickup, it'll it'll somehow. But anyways, but but the thing to remember with electric, especially with electric guitars, is that all of that stuff, despite having been around now for half a century, is really lo-fi. It's it's exceedingly lo-fi. It's noisy technology. The instrument. The pickups in an instrument do not accurately reproduce the sound of the vibrating string. They run through a cable into an amplifier that does not accurately reproduce the sound of the inaccurate sound coming from the pickups <laughs> in the first place. So you have, and, and, it's, and it's those changes that end up with the sound of the electric guitar, that, the various sounds of the electric guitar that are so appealing. But when you get into acoustic instruments, no one's trying to do that. People who amplify an acoustic guitar, their first and foremost goal is to make it sound as much like an electric guitar as, or acoustic yeah. guitar as possible. Hammer dulcimer, mountain dulcimer, auto harp, we're all, ukulele, we're all doing the same thing. We want it to sound right. as much like the unamplified instrument as possible. And that's different because I, before you leave what you just said, that there's the whole psychoacoustic thing of it as well. Mm -hmm. Because... There are sounds without even really not even knowing what the song is. If I'm listening to the radio late at night and I'm driving and I flip on a station and I hear a certain guitar song without having any idea, I can, it's going to feel like it's a war protest song from the sixties uh -huh. because they were doing just what you said. There was a certain sound that people who were writing songs, you know, during the hippie movement. Yeah. They use the sound, and that sound then becomes psychologically and, and, and sociologically associated with emotions. Sure. Well, I mean, and right through the set, you know, right through the seventies. That's right. Eighties. I mean, no. you can you can play me. You can play me, and probably you. You can probably play a guitar track from any song in any decade, and you go, "Well, that sounds." And just from the EQ of it. That's so right. That's that was probably done in the eighties. Right. So the reason I brought that up was not just to be nostalgic, was to say. One of the things that we can't change is people's endearment to sounds. Mm -hmm. And there's an endearment to the voice. And in my head, my definition of what a mountain dulcimer sounds like may be different from yours, but everybody has one if they know it. Mm -hmm. And I, I still say, and not everybody agrees with this, that it's one of the reasons I can be playing hammer dulcimer out somewhere and somebody who doesn't know it will come up and have never seen one and say, that sounds like a dulcimer. I thought you played it in your lap uh -huh. or an auto harp. Even that sounds like an, a dulcimer. Is that one of those or somebody, you know, they've been called auto harps. You've probably had your mountain dulcimer called an auto harp before. No, but I've had it called, I've had it called a hammer dulcimer. I've had it called a hammer dulcimer this week. Have you really? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Conversation with somebody like two days ago. And I was like, I play mountain dulcimer. Isn't that funny? And uh, he's like, well, I really dig the sound of the hammer dulcimer. Like, Okay. <laughs> that I know that irks you just a little bit. <laughs> Whatever, it's a point for Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some of that has to do with an endearment. Because mm -hmm. uh I was watching a YouTube video and I won't mention who it was, but they're fine folks, you know. You could tell that the folks that were playing, none of them were would consider themselves to be professional musicians. They were playing at some sort of a a setting like an old-timey kind of thing. And 
it wasn't perfect and it probably wasn't music that I would buy to listen to. Mm -hmm. But in the setting, I liked the way whoever had filmed this on their cell phone had gotten the people listening to it. They were moving the people that were listening to it. And you could tell just by, I could kind of see myself in that scene. They were creating a love, perhaps for a, a false nostalgia for something that might have actually never existed in the way. <laughs> that's a whole you know, other That's podcast. a whole other thing, yeah. <laughs> that's a series but, of podcasts. But still, they were creating something that was absolutely right for the scene. So uh, when it comes to trying to use these effects and things with hammer dulcimer, with mountain dulcimer, with whatever, these folk instruments, you're blazing new territory. And... I sure and and, and uh, I, I'm sure he listens to our podcast. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank. Can I apologize, or is that bad form? Uh, you shouldn't because not big festival. Uh, oh, Sam, Sam Edelston, Sam Edelston. You know, like playing some funky stuff. He's had some YouTube success with what he's doing. Uh, and I think Sam's a listener, so Sam, I'm not picking on you because I think what you're doing is really cool and brave, <laughs> <laughs> but. For me, my goal isn't to try to make my hammer dulcimer sound like a Jimi Hendrix song. But Sam's into that. And so Sam's so, goal is to make it sound like a yes, Jimi Hendrix song. Sam's doing it. Yeah. And he's Sam. He's just fun to watch play and he's so into it. And so it works. I would just say, I think I'd like to see more people discover what can be done with modern technology with our instruments, mm -hmm. but not trying to imitate something else, but well, coming up with sounds that other people will become endeared to. I think, well, I think you, I think you actually, I think you stumbled on, on a pretty important part of things kind of up front. And this is true of, well, I mean, it was true definitely of the thing that you were describing with the old time jam, but I've also seen it with like singer songwriters and like a bunch of different genres of, of music. It's all about, creating i call it creating space right right creating you, you you're creating an environment that's that's uh transcended transformative where you're in the musical environment and you don't feel like you're necessarily in the environment that you're in like the the i noticed this a while ago the effect that i used the most when i would play at the aquarium uh was delay and uh, and the reason why I would use delay is at least to my ears when you run something through a delay it sounds cool not a <laughs> cool but like cool as in colder you know distortion is a very warm sound I would say as in California vibe I have no idea what that means well there was that there was that California sound that came out of the studios, which is kind of where some of the Eagles sort of stuff came from. And there's okay. a there's a cool rhythmic sort of thing. It's like, okay, this isn't angry. Yeah, yeah. This is light. Yeah. You know, what I mean, see, for me, but for me, the, the the delay, especially delay on the sound of the of the pickup, the piezo under saddle pickup that I use, this doesn't work the same if the pickup in your instrument is like one of those transducers that captures the sound of the body, sounds a little more acoustic, a little more natural sounding. But you know, I have that the under saddle pickups; those sound fairly thin and pretty harsh, which is why the bags preamp was the first thing I bought for it. Um, and and I well, still, explain why. Because it because it's an unamplified, very small, very quiet signal without a lot of low end. It has a lot of high end. If it's not installed properly, it has a lot of what the quack sound that people were using as an effect, which is not a good sound all the time. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, so, yeah. Um, but, but why the bags? Why do the bags help with that? 
because it has because of the pre. Well, I'm not sure how this works, but whatever the something about the preamp amplifies the the signal and probably the frequencies that are weak as a result of the the deficiencies in that kind of a pickup. Right, or it allows you to notch out what sounds bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. both of those things I yeah. think. But but what I found is I'd use delay because delay to me sounds cool. It sounds 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 colder than the sound and. You know, and when am I when I'm at the aquarium? Four o'clock on a July Saturday, on an August Saturday when it's ninety-five degrees, you know. So I was literally creating the sounds that I was drawn to create in those environments were sounds that were the opposite of the actual temperatures I was feeling. Oh, very nice, yeah. And 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 that's those I mean also too, you know, you can you can tell by the amount of attention you're getting with the things you're doing how well it's working down there when you're when you're street performing. So those were the things that would work, and the reason I thought I think that they would work is because they were cool sounds. It was it was a cool sound on a hot day, and so you and so you and it created a space, especially being under the big arch like like I was. It created a, a space that felt different, just sonically, but I think probably enough to affect your mood and and how you felt being outside. And and that's that's what these people were doing playing the old time. And it wasn't, you know, it isn't about the quality of musicianship. It's about creating the space, creating a, right. creating a sense of of a transcendence. You know, not metaphysical transcendence necessarily, but just not feeling like you're in the place you're in, or forgetting that you're in the place that you're in when it happens. Yeah, and the quality of the musicianship is just right yeah. for the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with that completely. So it, it kind of works. We agreed on something. We agree. Not on much. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I think we push each other and that's good. Mm -hmm. All right. So effects that you're using now. Okay. So you, and, and we are, I know I shouldn't do this, but we really are going to have to wrap up before too long. Yes. So you give me a summary Mm -hmm. And we and we won't get so geeky about the individual things. Maybe I'd like to do one show on just delay sometime. Right, right and right, one right. show on just reverb, and right. one show on on filters, okay. and that kind of thing. But for now, kind of what's your what's your rig like, or is it a secret and you don't want anybody to know? No, I don't care. Um, uh, I uh, uh, first in the chain is is my tuner because the tuner mutes so I can switch between instruments, right? So I'll switch from guitar to band jammer to mountain dulcimer. What kind of tuner? Uh, it's a Boss TU2 or whatever it's okay. called. It's whatever the bass, I've had it for a million years. Okay. Um, the, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's, the one thing about it that's cool is it has a, you can plug into it. It has another plug you can buy a daisy chain and power other pedals off of it. All right. Uh, that goes into the rp50 which is the multi-effects unit but i only use them all i have five sounds that i use the multi-effects unit for uh one is my main sound which is just clean with a little tiny bit of reverb and then uh i have a delay uh same setting with delay and then same setting with uh, an octave doubler on it and the octave doubler on that one doesn't mute the original sing signal. So any note that I play, the original note is there and there's an octave note below it. And I use that when I'm playing bass on the guitar or if I'm using my guitar as a drum because it creates low frequencies but also keeps the high frequencies. Right. Hold, we're gonna yeah. pick up right there. So where Butch couldn't make a mistake right now 
is if that octave doubler or any of these other things that he's mentioned that put the same signal back into the final signal have a phase invert switch on them, that's where, back to that little red button on the LR bags, Mm -hmm. he could blow it. Because if he inverted his signal and put it back against the other signal, it would disappear. It would disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, just as an aside, continue. Uh, And then the other two songs that I have in that are just distortion uh, with a little bit of delay on it. And I use that specifically for when, and exclusively for when I'm playing my uh, zither, my electric mountain dulcimer. Right. Single. I mean, it's an electric. It's built like an electric guitar. Solid body electric guitar pickups. You know the whole the whole nine. So I use it specifically for that. And then I have the same setting with the octave below, which I sometimes use if I have something that's going on. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of different sounds, a lot of low end, and a, a lot of low end, and a lot of distortion. And I need it to end the song. I'll switch to that because it gives me the distorted sound, but also the distorted sound an octave below. And, you know, sometimes when you do with loops and you stop the loops and you just play like two notes on your dulcimer and suddenly it sounds very thin. Right. Just like, where did the music go? Like this kind of mitigates that. But I really usually, I rarely, rarely use that for, so really the four settings. And then it goes into um, an EQ pedal. And the EQ pedal I use basically as a volume boost. If I need, if I want to play like in Spot, Sweet Spotted Pony, where I have three or four loops, three or four loops going at once, but I'm improvising over the top of the of the loops, I want to make that last loop a little louder, so I'll use it as a tiny little volume boost. My band jammer pickup is hot in the mid range, so I'll I'll tweak the EQ to make that sound. Anyway, so the the EQ pedal is there basically just to fix things that might need to be fixed too loud or too quiet or too much of this frequency or that, you know, if for individual layers. So if I'm using a band jammer that has a sound that is a little different than the other instruments going through it. So I might use the EQ pedal to make that band jammer sit, play well with the others. Uh, from there, it goes into. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, I'm I'm choking because I'm I'm just a little sick. But oh my goodness, that's complicated. My head's about to explode. Well, I mean, just the EQ pedal is just basically if I don't like the sound of something, then I just tweak it. No, it's not fix- just that. I don't think you've breathed in four minutes as you're describing this thing. It's right. complicated. We're halfway. Yeah, all right. <laughs> So it, it goes. So from there, it goes into an octave double pedal that um, that drops it that drops the signal two octaves, and that's so I can play a, ha- a mountain dulcimer, but get bass frequencies. Get something that sounds like an electric bass or one of those uh, bass dulcimers that uh, uh, Sweet Fern or um, David Beatty make. Mm-hmm. So you know, so I can get that kind of sound with it. By the way, it's like that's my favorite thing. Is have like a PA system. I'm playing this little tiny three string instrument, and it's going boom, boom. Oh, it's boom, amazing! You know yeah. I mean? uh, and then from uh, f- out of that, then it go- there's a delay pedal that I just that I just use for a bunch of different things. And the delay pedal is the secret weapon because the problem with the loop pedals is you have to stay in time. As you know, you have to stay in time. You have to start in time. To start Staying in time. Staying is easier. You can't, if you speed up or slow down, the pedals that I use, the loop pedals I use will quantize. So if you speed up too much, especially over a long loop, and I tend to do fairly long loops, 
uh, what'll happen is if so, like if you can you define that for people? Yeah, yeah. If you speed if you speed up while you're playing, it quantizes. It listens to how long the music is playing, and then it guesses at what your beats per minute are and adjust the loop length to match that. So if I speed up, what ends up happening is you get like, ba bum instead of going da dun dun da dun dun da dun dun da dun dun it'll go da dun dun da dun dun da dun dun da dun dun Right, be an extra beat there. Dun, dun, yeah, yeah, or a half a beat, usually. Like a little extra. And if, when that happens, then I have to apologize. I have to stop and I have to start over because there's nothing... There's nothing you can do about that. So uh, comes out of the delay. So I use the delay pedal because I'll, I'll be if I'm performing something I'm starting out. I usually use a, what they call a ping pong delay. So it happens against. So if I'm going bonk bonk bonk, it's going bonk a bonk a bonk a bonk a bonk, and I'm listening to the delay as I'm playing the piece to keep me in time until the first loop gets started. And then once the first loop is set, the first loop is defines everything else. And then it goes into the loop pedals. I have a Boss RC2, which they don't even make anymore. It's the lowest end of the Boss pedal, looping pedal. Uh, I've had them forever. They're indestructible. They have 11 minutes of looping time, uh, although that's divided by the number of loops you have. So if I have a one minute loop, I can make 11 loops before it runs out of space. Um, and, uh, And that's what I use. I have two of them. Sometimes I'll do something very short on one loop, like a drum beat, and use that to make a much longer loop on the second beat right. so that it's more interesting for the audience to, you know, rather than watching me play. I watched a video once of this guy, and he was playing Billie Jean on violin, and he was looping it, right? He plays the entire bass line for the verse and then the entire bass line for the chorus before he goes back to start to add the bump. Bump. And then right. he does that for the entire verse and the entire chorus. And then he comes back and adds another You've lost thing. people by the time. You're five long. and a half minutes in the song, he hasn't started to play the melody. Yet. Right. You don't have that you don't have that kind of time. So right. um Which which is why, again, this is a whole other podcast. We're down to just a couple of minutes before we have to quit, Butch. No worries. Well, I'm the, almost done. Yeah. So <laughs> I would like to do a whole podcast on on ways to cheat this as sure. well. And and I do want you to finish, but I want to say this. What we're doing, and don't change what you're doing because it's good. What we're doing is kind of talking about the complexity and just laying it all out. We also could have a conversation on the simplicity of it mm-hmm. of, and just talk about specifically what you need to know if you really want to get started. But right. we haven't done that this time. So right. we'll do that another time. But, it's all, and it, but this has always been a, it's always been a slow build. So <laughs> I, have the two, I have the two loop pedals. And honestly, this, this first, the second loop pedal, uh, sometimes you can re- pre-record short little phrases or whatever. Yeah. And I'll use those. And to, re, to uh, use those to trigger those, almost like a sampler, and less like than less like a looper. Ninety percent of the time, um, I'm just using the one the one looper. And I mean, I, I I not recently bought a looper for my voice, so I can loop things with my voice. I'm actually sending it back because it's not. I don't use it. It's not not worth it. Um, but but getting back to what you said about the complexity of it, the first time that I bust, I had the one loop pedal. I had the multi effects, and I used whatever the presets were already in there. I just found ones that I liked and would say, "Well, that sounds good. Let's try that." And then I would just like remember the numbers. I think I learned how to how to copy them to different numbers so they'd be right next to each other. But the first six months that I used it, I just used whatever came out of the box. And I just found the ones that I liked the sound of, and that was the end of that, you know. Um, and I just, I just had, yeah, I had the the multi effects unit, the looper, the DI, and the and the uh, um, tuner. 
so I right. could so I could switch instruments and meet the channel so I could switch instruments, and that's what I started with the first, and then just as time went on and and I got better at it, and I was like. Well, it'd be great if I could play bass on a mountain dulcimer. Well, what can, what pedal can I get that does That's that? It. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, you start building them, but you do have to have the basics. I'm turning around. Yeah. Right now, reaching back here. So I'm not far from what you said. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm holding in my hands two other little pedals that is it's kind of similar to what Butch said, except it's a it's a TC Electronic flashback, which is a delay mm-hmm. looper, and a TC Electronic Hall of Fame reverb, mm-hmm. which is pretty nice. And uh, the, the sound from the Hall of Fame reverb is really good. Normally, I would tell people never put, not never, but rarely would you put reverb on a hammer dulcimer. Sure, you don't need but, it. But this thing is really sweet when you're playing with a damper, the Hall of Fame reverb. The uh, TC Electronic flashback pedal, which I've been using some lately. And right now, I'm really in the process of dialing these into my uh, my carbon fiber instrument mm-hmm. and trying to get the sounds right. That's another thing. You change instruments, you got to change the way all your presets work, which is a bummer. Yeah. The real bummer about this TC Electronic flashback is the battery life on this thing, if you actually use it, it's about 20 minutes. <sighs> and you can't, it's awful. And I read in the forums, everybody's complaining about it. And then somebody said, look in their manual and they tell you the battery is only there for you to test it. <laughs> <laughs> so even though, you know, you look at these pedals as they're great because you can put batteries in them and they last forever. Nope. Like that, that LR bags, mm-hmm. how often do you have to replace a battery in one of those? It's hardly ever. They're amazing. Well, but in part, in part because, um, first of all, I'm, I'm really judicious about unplugging it when I'm sure. not using it. But even then. And, if, I, and I get phantom power every chance I get, right. I get phantom power. But I've left them plugged in for days and yeah. have them still be good. Yeah. This, the uh, flashback is not going to be that way. So it's, it's still a, uh, it's a learning experience and it's a. Boy, it's a money pit. See, I'm glad to see you're getting back to analog. I am a little bit, yeah, because I don't like taking a laptop with me. Well, and I, for me, for me, it was always well. There's there's two things, right? One is I don't want to I don't want to have to spend any time sitting at a desk with a pencil behind my ear, programming in what my program is going to do. You know, you use Ableton Live, which is about thirty thousand times more powerful than what I'm using with all of those with all of those foot pedals. You know. Um, but what I always liked about the foot pedals was just the ability to change things on the fly. Before I used the EQ pedal, I actually go back and forth between the EQ pedal and I have a boost pedal. And the boost pedal is one button and a big fat knob that I can turn <laughs> with my shoe. There's something to be said for that. You know, Absolutely. yeah. So yeah. it's like, oh, that's not enough. That's better. That's you know, better. Yeah. yeah it's, it's actually why I wear Chuck Taylors because you can use the edge of the Chuck Taylor. You're going to tell me to that change. even your shoes matter. Even the shoes, when I wear yeah, shoes. Right. Yeah. Uh, because you can use the edge of your shoes to change the knobs on the right. boss pedals. So yeah, it's it's you know, but it's you know, but it's all. I should say too, these aren't necessarily this. These aren't necessarily the decisions I came to after years of trial and error and experimentation. All of this stuff. I all those four pedals that I talked about the first time that I did street performing were the four pedals I had. You know, right. they were the ones I owned at the time. And that's why I started using right. those. It's not like you went out and got a PhD in how to do this correctly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you, yeah. and then I just very, very slowly built on, built on top of it, you know. And honestly, I think between the DI, if you want to start looping, having a DI and then the looper is, is enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, God, look up Phil Keggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's that pretty dude's, amazing. That yeah. dude's using, he's using old school. He's using an old school jam man, right? 
uh, we use a newer version, a newer version now, but it's it's this. It does half of what my hundred and seventy dollar boss pedal does. It's one loop. You know, it's like one loop, and I think it might have undo. It might not have undo. Yeah, there's something to be said for chops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but go watch, go watch him yeah. do Salvation Army Band, and you're like, all right, there's no, it's enter- endlessly entertaining. Yeah, and it's, and he's using one pedal. So hey, we got to wrap this up, my friend. I've said all I got to say. I don't believe that's true for a second. <laughs> what are you talking about? We've had all this honesty all through here up to this point. Uh, if I've never told you, I was I've... trying to give you a graceful out. Yeah, man, <laughs> we didn't. We aren't so good at that but thanks uh i appreciate you dude happy to do it and the stuff you do uh and so adults were geek uh steve and i haven't broken up or anything it's just that uh life <laughs> life so yeah we're keeping it going i appreciate butch uh, filling in today yeah happy to <laughs>